If I told you while you were Christmas shopping five months ago that it would really be a good idea for you to buy an extra set of really nice pajamas so that you could wear them on Easter Sunday, you probably would have thought that I was strange, but now you'd be really glad that I gave you that advice. This is just different, isn't it? It's weird. It's strange. Today, by any measure, is probably the strangest holiday that we as a country will have celebrated in quite a long time. Today is Easter. It is the annual celebration of Christians for the resurrection of Jesus. It's a special day. It's a big day. But today is a different day. It is strange. We're used to gathering together. We're used to having a big meal. We're used to uh, dressing up in new outfits. But all the things that we're used to doing, those aren't the things that we are doing today. It's a day when we're used to having fun, eating chocolate, looking for colored eggs, and more. And if Christmas is the day that Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus, Easter is the day that Christians celebrate the day, the day that he rose from the dead. It's resurrection day for us. But today is not what we've expected. This is the one day of the year when normally churches are full. They are packed. You can't find a parking space. But today... Churches all over the world are empty. It's not what we expected. It's not what I expected. On the day, ironically, when churches of Christians are supposed to be full, we're celebrating an empty tomb. There's an irony here, and it doesn't seem to fit the way we thought it was going to be, but that's what Easter really is. Easter has always been about that which is unexpected. The things that people were looking forward to didn't happen, and the things that did happen, no one thought would. This is the story of Jesus. It's a story of everything that is unexpected, and uh, for just a few examples that I can give to you to demonstrate this, The story of Jesus is the story of a teenage girl that wasn't supposed to have a baby, but she did. The story of Jesus is the story of a carpenter who wasn't supposed to know as much about God, but he did. The story of Jesus is the story of a cross that was supposed to end life, but instead gave it. The story of Jesus is the story of a tomb that was supposed to contain a body, but instead is empty. It's exactly the kind of thing that keeps attracting people to Jesus generation after generation all across the world. That's why we're celebrating. That's why we will always celebrate Easter isn't about one Sunday, it's about one event, about one man, about one cross, 
about one tomb and about one God. And the unexpected just keeps on happening, kind of like wearing pajamas on Easter. It's just not what we expected. Christian recording artist Carolyn Ahrens recounted one unexpected thing that her pastor said on an Easter Sunday years ago. He said this, the world offers promises full of emptiness. Easter offers emptiness full of promises. There's power there. The author of Psalm 49 has an interesting perspective on the promises of the world, on the things that we tend to rely on only to find out that they're not necessarily reliable. The world he was living in was anything but good. It was chaotic and he was in trouble, but he wasn't necessarily worried. In the middle of experiences, his experience, he says some things, some unexpected things about fear and about death. He starts out right in the beginning of Psalm 49. He says, everyone on this earth, listen to me. Listen to what I say. No matter who you are, rich or poor. And then in verse 5, he says, why should I be afraid in times of trouble? The author is demanding that everyone listen to him. And he does this uh, regardless of uh, whoever's listening, their station in life, rich or poor, great or small. And he does this because he understands, like you and I, that there are some things in life that happen to everyone, regardless of how they live or where they live or what they do or what they know. There are some things that are universal to our experience. And one of those things is fear. So many people are afraid right now. Now the fear may be very small or it may be very great. It may be just something that kind of is annoying in the back of your mind or it may be screaming in your ear. But so many people are fearful now. We have this expert who says this about the virus, and then there's that expert over there that says something different, and then there are three or four more that uh, try to find some happy medium just to make us all feel better, but we don't feel better. No one can tell us where or how or when this is all going to end. And we're afraid. National economies all over the world have come to a screeching halt over fear. And we're kind of tired of it. Substantiated and real, but nonetheless, this is fear. And what is it really that we're afraid of? Are we afraid of a germ? Are we afraid of someone being too close to us? Are we afraid uh, when we see cars in parking lots? that they might be doing something that they're not supposed to be doing? I think those are just uh, aspects of it. What we're really afraid of is death. Fear doesn't stop death. Fear stops life. It always has, and it always will. The author, as if he understands that 
he asks this very profound question in verse 5. He says, why should I fear it? Why should I fear when troubles come? What does he know? What does he know that we don't? Is that the whole point of this entire psalm? To tell us something that we really need to know so that we won't be afraid? In his experience, he watched people rely on some things that frankly, people everywhere have always relied on. These are the empty promises that the world offers and he brings attention to them. In a world that promises security in what you have, it's not about what you have. He says of the things and the people that are ruining his life, they trust in their riches and brag about all of their wealth. You cannot buy back your life or pay off God. It costs far too much to buy back your life. You can never pay God enough. You can never pay God enough to stay alive forever and safe from death. Now, I know and you know that this is not a new understanding. I know and you know that I didn't necessarily need to tell you that you can't buy life with what you have, not one more day. But even though I know that, and even though you know that, I'm still fascinated. I'm amazed at the things that people have done thinking that they can preserve themselves, that they can protect themselves. I know it's old news. I know that um, uh, we've all, we've seen the memes, we've seen the jokes about it, but I still am just perplexed over the whole toilet paper thing. I, I really am. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what immortal capabilities, what powerful properties, four sheets, 40 sheets of really thin paper will do when you... W- well, you know, I, I, I just, I am still amazed by that. And, and while it may be funny, it's really not. Because, you know, uh, <clears throat> I know also, and you know, that uh, those who have exceptional uh, uh, financial means really do have access to maybe some better health care. But I don't care if you're Bill Gates or you're Warren Buffett or both of them combined. You can't pay enough to avoid death. And if you think that everybody gets that, listen to this. James Bedford was a psychology professor at the University of California. And when he uh, was diagnosed with cancer, he began to investigate Uh, freezing cryogenically. And he wanted to do that. He died in 1967. And when he did so, he willed $100,000 to preserve his body. He thought that if he could do that in the future, we would come up with some technology that could bring his body back to life and revive his consciousness. It's been 50 years, more than 50 years And the $100,000 that he willed to preserve himself has long since been used up. And now that burden is to his family. You might think that people would kind of look at that and turn away, but to date, there are more than 300 
human remains cryogenically frozen. And I'm told that there are more than 3,000 people waiting in line to do that. You can't buy life and avoid death. The author isn't trying to avoid death with what he has. He knows that you can't. And in a world that also promises security in what you know, we've been reminded that it's not about what you know. It's not. The author quickly shifts to people who are confident in what they know, thinking that their knowledge will protect them. And he really quickly, in one sentence, refutes the entire argument. He says in verse 10, we see that wise people die, and so do stupid fools. Our knowledge quotient does not enable us to avoid death. What we've come to know in the 21st century has made life expectancy longer. It's made the quality of lives better everywhere. And I know that, uh, I, I hope you understand that I'm not telling you that the things that we're doing washing and masks and things, that, that's, uh, that really doesn't matter because it does matter and it is working. But what we know really still has its limits. I mean, let's face it. So many of us thought, what's the big deal? I mean, it's the flu, right? We still see people saying it's not a big deal, but those are the people that are in areas that really aren't being affected greatly. The fact of the matter is, it is a big deal. We thought... Oh, this scientist would do this and that doctor would do that and before you know it, it'll be opening day in baseball and we'll all be sitting in Fenway Park. None for the worse. It's not about what we have and it's not about what we know. In a world that tries so hard to avoid death, we've all been reminded it's about who you know. The author boldly and gratefully says this, but God will rescue me from the power of death. You know, there's a sense in which a lifetime spent avoiding death is absolutely wasted. You say, yeah, Shan, but don't we all do that? Yeah, I suppose that we do. I mean, we all have our, 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 our wisdom and common sense, regardless of the levels. We all have it, and we all use it to stay alive. We wear seatbelts. We, we wash our hands. We, we, we try to eat well. We try to exercise. But lately, any and every one of those activities has been a burden to us. I mean, let's face it, uh, uh, right now, like I said, we're washing our hands, we're staying at home, we're keeping our distance from each other when we go out, and, and, and I'm not saying again that all this is pointless, but what if I told you that everything that we're doing right now, if the way that we've lived for the last three or four weeks is the way that we have to live for the rest of our lives, what if this really is normal now? We're miserable 
we're done with this. We want to live. We want to have life. We want to see our family. We want to see our friends. We want to shake hands and hug one another again and love each other in the way that God meant for us to love one another. This is not how we're supposed to live. This is a futile effort to avoid death. And we're miserable. Like some sick joke, we're stuck in our own version of Groundhog Day. We can't figure out or really know when it's all going to end. I know right now this sounds kind of hard, but this is exactly why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This is why Easter matters. Because we can't, but he can. We won't, but he will. This is why at Crosspoint we say every single time we gather together that we're here to help people find and follow Jesus because he's the one that we look to. He's the one who rescues us. He's the one who gives us life. We're not calling people to follow a code of behavior. We're calling people to follow a person. We're called to follow someone, not something or somewhere. So regardless of where we gather or how many gather, we celebrate Jesus because we believe that he died for our sins on the cross. We believe that he paid the price for every one of our foolish decisions, our bad mistakes, uh, our failed intentions. We believe that having died on the cross for our sins, he was buried in a tomb and three days later, he rose from the grave. And in his new life, we have new life. That's why we celebrate because we can't avoid the things, but he can by his power and his grace and his mercy. He loved us and died for us. He loves us and lives for us. That's why we celebrate. And if Jesus doesn't do this for us, we pay the price for our sin. And that makes everyone, frankly, want to stay home. He did it because he loves you and me. And it's in him, as I said, that we have new life. God rescues us from the power of death through Jesus. Our Easter's, they're not usually like this. They really aren't. We're used to getting dressed, getting together with family, sharing a big ham dinner watching little kids run around the yard for eggs. The thing is, we're the one that puts the party together. We're the one that prepares the meal. We're the ones that prepare services like this. We're the one that says when it's going to begin and how it's going to end and how everybody's going to dress. It's us who puts all this together. But here's the awkward truth. The real aspect of Easter that we often don't see real Easter is what God did for us, not what we do for each other. 
It's what he and he alone could do for us. And that's why we celebrate. This is the pinnacle of what's unexpected. All the things that we're used to doing, all the things that we have come to understand that Easter really is all about, the clothes, the chocolate, the dinners, the gatherings, those are just the extras. The real aspect of the unexpected is that sometimes we get caught up and think that this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to celebrate like this. No, we get to do that. What he wants us to do is come to Jesus. What he wants us to do is put our life in his hands. Where real life is, where real hope is, that's what Easter is all about. You and I thought that we would almost always make the right decisions and we're smart enough to make the right plans, but we don't always make the right decisions. And lots of times the plans that we've made have failed. And sometimes the bad decisions that we've made and the failures that we have had, we think that those things keep us from God. But yet that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He died for those things to restore us to God. And in living again, we can live again. Last week, I commented on how everyone was asking each other, what is it that you're going to do once these stay-at-home orders, these quarantines are lifted? What's the first thing you're going to do? There were a lot of answers. But the number one answer by far, the second answer wasn't even close. The number one answer I want to see my family. I want to be with my family. Do you know God wants to see you? Do you know he loves you more than you love the kids that you haven't seen? Your parents that you can't go see. Do you know he loves you more than that? He loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And in dying, we've been forgiven. And in being forgiven, we have life. And in having life, we sing. We celebrate. We are so grateful because we get to see each other again. Keep calm and celebrate. God, thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity to remember that Jesus is alive. Thank you so much for the hope that we have in his life and the life that we have that we can now share with everyone else. God, it it may be a weird and a strange Easter, but it's altogether normal. No one ever expected that Jesus was going to do what he did. No one ever expected that you would love us with that kind of love. But now knowing it, and now understanding it, God, we can't turn away. God, we shouldn't turn away. 
And so even if we're in our homes and we can't uh, be with our friends, we're reaching out, we're making phone calls, we're making FaceTime calls, we're doing anything and everything that we can to let them know that we miss them. And God in Jesus coming to earth and Jesus dying for us and rising again, you are letting everyone everywhere know that you love them and you can't wait to see them again. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have and the joy in life that you've given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name.